No matter where you find yourself tonight, no matter how this year has gone, no matter how break was, I want you to feel welcome. Uh, Not just in RUF, but we're going to talk about tonight that you actually feel at home with Jesus. And we want RUF to be a ministry where the love of Jesus is proclaimed and embodied in such a way where you feel welcome. We've been going through uh, the Psalms of Ascent, the series called Songs for the Road. And the main image that I've wanted in y'all's minds and heart this semester is this journey. The, the Christian life is this long pilgrimage, this journey with Jesus rather than a quick errand. Sanctification, the lifelong process of becoming like Jesus, is not one that's overnight. It's this long pilgrimage following the Master, our, our, our friend, our Savior, Jesus. And His kingdom, again, is, it involves every part of our life. It's not an overnight process that only involves our thought life or our moral life or our emotional life. It's all of us. And so tonight, Psalm 131. And Psalm 131 is, is going to show us that to follow Jesus, you have to become like a child. If you're going to follow Jesus, you have to become like a child. This is one of Jesus' actually favorite ways to talk about the Christian life and life in the kingdom. If the kingdom of God wants to, if it's going to make sense to you, theologically and morally and ethically and biblically, you have to actually go low, not high. You have to embrace humility if you want to be lifted up. You have to give your life away if you want to find your life. You have to be like a child. That's what we're going to talk about tonight. And this makes sense why Jesus actually would talk about children and the way that they live life to talk about the kingdom life is because if you think about children, which I'm thinking a lot about children these days, if you think about them, you'll know that they're not cynical yet. Children are not cynical. They're not critical. Children have an endless capacity for imagination and wonder and awe of the world. I mean, literally before our eyes, like Annie's world is just exploding with wonder. She can now see across the room. She couldn't do that two weeks ago. Like literally her mind and her heart are exploding right before our eyes. There's an endless capacity for wonder of the beauty of the world. They really do taste and see that the Lord is good in a way that we in our cynicism no longer do. Children possess an endless amount of uh, curiosity and a humility of being guided and directed. Children also haven't been formed yet to hide their emotions. And to hide your emotions uh, is actually, culturally speaking, if, to show your emotions actually is to be weak and to not have your stuff together, and we don't do that. Children are with no shame. If they're angry, they're going to tell you about it. If they're fearful, they're going to tell you about it. There's no shame in it. And children also, they name and declare their need for help all the time. All the time. Children are free to play. They're free to play. They're utterly secure in who they are and who they are in the household where they can just play in an unselfconscious kind of self-forgetful kind of way. This is what children do. And we're going to see two things. I'm going to name the kind of the, where we're going to go before I read the passage. <clears throat> we're going to see two things about childlikeness in the Christian life. Contentment and trust. Contentment and trust. Let me read the passage and then we'll walk through it. (laughs) 
This is God's word, not a theology exam or rules. It's the voice of love to you and me. O Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. But I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother, like a weaned child is my soul within me. O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. Let me pray. Lord, we do um, confess to you as we're talking about what it means to be a child in your kingdom. We are... um, We're cynical and cold, and we live in a world full of wounds. We have wounded others. We have been wounded by others. And so it's hard to trust you because we have been burned by the world in many ways, and we want to pray honestly. And I want to name that on the front end, that this is so easy, so much easier said than done. I know it is for me, but I do ask that by your Spirit you would compel us to trust you like a child, and that that would actually enable us to finish this semester off well in Christ's name. Amen. So contentment and trust. Let's do the first one, contentment. To be like a child means you're content. If you look at verse 2, if you have the text there in front of you, I have calmed and quieted my soul. This is such a short psalm with so much going on there in it. I've quieted my soul. I'm calm like a weaned child with its mother. Is my soul within me. David is essentially saying, if you're going to be a child, you're going to be content in your father's presence. You're going to be content in God's presence. That's the first thing that we see. One of the things that I noticed, and tons of my friends who have kids told me this before Annie was born. There's this thing that happens when you're in the hospital room and the baby is recovering from the trauma of being born is this dynamic called skin to skin. And it's exactly what it sounds like. They're freaking out. And the one thing that will make the baby shut up if there's skin to skin with the baby and the mom. And so Annie, in her traumatized state that first few nights, uh, she will not sleep. She would not eat. She would just be quiet if there was like skin to skin contact with Ivy. If babies know anything those first few days, if I'm with mom... I'm okay and all is well. If I'm with her, not like, is she in the room, but is she holding me? Christian contentment in God's presence says, I am with my father and my father is with me. He's not like around. I'm not around him. He is with me. He's actually by his spirit in me. All is well and I am okay. So it's contentment, but contentment not generically. Contentment in God's presence, knowing that by His Spirit, if you're a child of God, He is with you. He is with us right now. And to be a child says, I know that He's with me and I'm content. I know that He won't leave me or forsake me. Y'all, the beginning of the biblical story, I don't know if you knew this, we talked a lot about Genesis because the psalmist had Genesis on their mind all the time. They had the garden on their minds and hearts all the time. And in the garden, we read in the opening chapters of the Bible that God dwelt with his people. He dwelt with Adam and Eve and walked around in the garden with them. He made God, God made man in his own image so that he would dwell with them in the garden. He longs to dwell in the presence of his people. 
In the, in the end of the biblical story, the revelation, John's revelation, the prophecy that's so strange to read, but also so poetic and beautiful, the last chapters say this, the dwelling place of God is with man. Sounds a lot like Eden. God's goal has always been to dwell with his people. God's way that he deals with man is coming after us. Why? To forgive us, to redeem us, to die for us, to rise for us, of course. But why did he do all that? To be with you, to walk with you again, to have communion with you again, to do Eden again. Okay? It's contentment to be a child, but a contentment in God's presence. It's also a contentment with God's gifts. It's a contentment with God's gifts. Before we go there, I want to say a couple things about God's presence again that I skipped over in my notes. Do you actually believe that God, by his spirit, is with you always? Do you believe that? I suspect that's probably old news to you, like church theological Sunday school answers. Do you believe that by his spirit, God never leaves you alone? Everywhere you walk, everywhere you run, everywhere you hide, everywhere you drive, no matter where you go, God is with you. Do you know that? Do you believe that? And the second thing I want to ask is this, and this is more, much more of kind of a personal inventory question that I want to ask you, you guys this, especially as we're in an interim season. And not all of y'all have tons of time on your hands for interim. Some of y'all are doing like the internships or whatever. Some of y'all do have some time. So let me ask this. When was the last time that you intentionally took time away to be quiet and have solitude with prayer and scripture for the sole purpose to dwell in God's presence? He's, you don't have to slow down like that for God to be with you. He's always with you, with you, even if you're busy. But stillness and solitude is just opening your eyes to his presence with you. When's the last time that you slowed? Did you do that over spring break? Do you have some sort of plan of regularly doing that, of dwelling with your father? And if, I'll be honest, when I'm like over-functioning and over-busy, oftentimes is because I'm hiding from God. I'm using busyness as a way of like, if I slow down long enough and having to do like some personal inventory on my life, I might, I might have to get honest with God. And I kind of don't want to get honest with God because I don't really believe he unconditionally loves me. I have to really wrestle with God to slow down like that. I'll just say this, the intimacy is there in the solitude. The presence of God is there in the solitude. And when you carve out time for solitude with prayer and scripture, you're coming home. You're refusing to hide. I want to invite you to do that these next few weeks. Okay, let's go to to contentment in his gifts. Contentment with his gifts, not just his presence, but his gifts. Children are content in the presence of their mom, so that's the psalmist's image that he has here. And so the, the, the nourishment, the bodily nourishment of milk and the presence of the mom... The babies know, I have everything that I need. I have everything that I need if mom is with me and I'm with her on her, like, skin-to-skin contact with my mom. I have everything that I need. I don't have to look anywhere else. Did you know in the Lord's Prayer, when Jesus was asked, how should we pray, is such an insightful prayer. It's a child's prayer. The first line, our Father in heaven. And then there's all these requests and the requests are all over the place. Why can he ask? He asks for daily bread, kingdom come, will be done, all that stuff. Forgiveness is there. It's a comprehensive prayer. Why? You can ask your father anything. 
your father is safe. It's a child's prayer. And it's asking and acknowledging that he is a father who likes to give good gifts. Not a stingy father. Not a complacent or apathetic father who like zones out, won't make eye contact with you or embrace you. He longs to give you good gifts. He's just waiting for you to ask him. So it's contentment in God's good gifts. The Apostle Paul said these words in, first, or in uh, Philippians 4. And this is the passage where it says, I can do all things through Christ, which is on bumper stinkers galore in South Carolina. Okay, here we go. This was before, this is 11 and 12. Let me read this. This is from Paul. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I've learned in whatever circumstance or situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low. He probably wrote these words from prison too. A lot of his letters he wrote from prison, which is a whole other subject that speaks to the like existential contentment he had in his father. I know how to be brought low. I know how to be bound. In any circumstance, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. When Paul actually was in prison, Acts records this, he sang hymns in prison. He and his buddy were singing hymns and the Philippian jailer was converted to Christianity out of like, he probably, that, that dude who heard the hymn probably was like, how is he singing a hymn to his God that has allowed him to get locked up? Like, what on earth is going on with this guy? Paul knew contentment. Did you realize that your life is a complete gift from God? Like, all, your whole life is grace. All of life is grace. God has given you your friends. God has given you your mind that is able to read, your hands that are able to write and type, your hands that hold your boyfriend's or girlfriend's hands. God gave you those hands. God has given you daily bread, the three meals that you ate today. He's given you, or hold on real quick, are Miss Kathy's pancakes happening right now during COVID? No? When you were eating those, God gave you those. If there's any gift at Wofford College, it's those pancakes. Um, Krispy Kreme donuts that we ate that Caroline picked up, that is a gift from God. Your whole life is a gift. And it's it's a way for God to say, I want you to taste and see that I'm good. I don't want my forgiveness and my mercy and my grace and my presence to be abstract. I want you to feel my grace. I want you to smell and taste and touch my love. All of life is a gift. And so I want to ask you again another inventory question. Are you content with these gifts? Are you content with these gifts right now? There are a few major threats to contentment for God's people, and I, it's, this has always been the case, but I, I want to name a few that I've picked up on in these four years and in my own life. And the first, I would just say comparison. Comparison really does rob you of contentment and joy of God's gifts in your life because you don't want your gifts. You want their gifts. You're single. They have a relationship, Right? All the while, you're taking your eyes off of the goodness and the love that you can taste and feel and touch in your own life now. The second thing, not just comparison, but hurry, hurry. We just won't stop long enough to look around. We just won't stop long enough to taste and to see. 
and to see what God is doing in our lives in very ordinary ways and extraordinary ways. Last thing is ambition, this hurried ambition, an ambition that says, I never have enough. Only when I get this job, only when I have that internship, only when I have a boyfriend or girlfriend, only when I get into this or that friend group or have an experience of belonging in this town or in this school, only when I get X, Y, and Z. And we're doing this with like, it feels like ambition and like, oh, you're just like a driven person that like always wants to get stuff. And yeah, that might be true. It's also kind of stubborn and you're trying to negotiate with God. And it's taking your eyes and the, you're holding on to things all the while your hands can't touch and your eyes can't see the goodness that God has right on your own table every day. So that's contentment. That's childlike contentment. Let's go to the second one, childlike trust. Childlike trust. Childlike trust involves trusting in, in, a, in a few ways. The first is this, trusting in God's care. You trust in God's care. In this psalm, David is saying... David wrote this, y'all, and if anyone, we did Life of David a few years ago, and if anyone had a crazy life in the Bible, it's David. Anyone who needed to know that God was going to take care of him, it's David. And so it's sort of crazy that he's praying these words, but he is. Childlike trust in God's care, that's what David is after. There's a humility and trust in the psalm that is a direct result. He can say, I'm calm and I'm quiet. Because I'm trusting in this childlike, dependent way on God's care of me. God's care of me. The Apostle Paul, I don't know if you knew this, describes God as a mother hen who gathers her babies. A God who protects his children in a way where he gathers them under the shelter of his wing. Psalm 27 says that David says these words in another psalm. For he will hide me in the shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high on a rock. In John 10, Jesus describes himself as this good shepherd who will always take care of his sheep in all places, in all times, in all circumstances. Childlike trust means you know that God is taking care of you. It's not just content in his presence or his gifts, that he's like this genie that just gives you stuff. He's a God who you can trust. He's going to take care of you. He'll never leave you or forsake you. One of the gifts that I have in this job is processing your stories from your families. And if you've met with me one-on-one, we've probably talked about your parents. We've probably talked about your siblings. And it's one of my favorite things. I feel like we're on holy ground when we talk about that. And one of the things that will come up is just the reality of watching a broken marriage. Even if your parents are still still married, no marriage is perfect. You talk about the ins and outs of your love and admiration and respect for your mom and your dad, and yet your parents are two sinners who got married. That's the reality. There's a lot of brokenness in family. And then many of you came from families of divorce. And a lot of y'all are going to have gone through or maybe will go through your parents divorcing while you're in college. And I've met with so many students for whom that's the case. And so it's really hard when these two people who we have been trained in every sense of the word to trust with everything in our being let us down 
show us their imperfections. Many, some of y'all have been abandoned by your parents in certain ways. Maybe they're still married, but they abandoned you emotionally and weren't available to you when you needed them. And so it makes sense why it would be hard to trust Jesus like this. It, it makes sense to me to understand God as your father when you have had no father and maybe you have, he's just emotionally distant. It's really hard to wrap your minds around God being a father who will never leave you or forsake you. The Bible also deals with our mom issues because God is also described with using maternal love, a mother hen. That's why he's using this image of a mom, a baby and a mom together. And a lot of our moms have hurt us. I just want to name these realities just to normalize the fact that it's hard to trust Jesus this way like a child because of how we've experienced our parents. It doesn't mean we don't love them or respect them. It's just not pretending that they're perfect. And we carry that into pro- to college. And many of y'all are just processing what childhood was like for you and you're learning all th- kinds of things about your family and why it's hard to trust Jesus. So I just want to name that. This is easier said than done. Childlike trust in God's care for us. But I also want to say that God's care for you is perpetual and consistent. He is not your parents, because he's not a sinner. He's not imperfect. He is perfect in every single way in his character. The psalmist in verse 1, if you'll look there again, he's not concerned with lofty, ambitious plans because he's confident, he's confident that his trust in God is not in vain. It's not in vain. You have to trust in God's care for you. You also trust in God's promises. That's the last thing we're going to do. It's trusting in God's promises. Look at verse 3. Oh, Israel, this is so subtle, but there's a lot going on here. Oh, Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. Following Jesus means that you trust that God is going to keep his word. God is going to keep his word. It's important for us to realize, y'all might know this, but let me remind you. God's people in the Old Testament, Israel, were the ones singing these psalms. God's people in the Old Testament were God's chosen covenant people. God made promises all over the place to Israel, and they were banking on them. Their identity was bound to God's promises. Their future was bound to God's promises. God promised that he'll be his people. They would, he would be their God. They would be his people. He would never leave them. And their unfaithfulness, he would remain faithful to them. He made very specific promises about this little baby who would be born that would come from the line of David and who would crush the head of the serpent who ended up walking out of a graveyard. And all of these promises ended up coming true. And then Jesus leaves us, descends, the Spirit descends on us and says, look, I got more promises for you. I'm going to return and make all things new. God's people root themselves in God's promises. It is not wishful thinking at all. And this is why, in some senses, the bumper sticker theology of let go and let God Uh, That's the one bumper sticker theological statement that actually is fairly, what I would say, like rooted in covenant realities. Like God has promised you something and therefore you really can let go and let God. You really can do that. As goofy as it sounds when we say that. You really can trust God's promises, not your own circumstances, not your obedience, and not these generic things we say about God 
but his specific promises to do stuff, to act on your behalf. He'll keep his word. Because there's only an echo of God's promises in verse 3 because it's rooted, ultimately, Christian hope is rooted in Jesus. And verse 3 is an echo, or it's, a, it's an anticipation of Jesus. It's pointing to him. Because you might know that David was a king. And one of the titles of David, or one of the titles of Jesus, was Great David's Greater Son, or the Greater David, and the One True King. And so David is pointing to the greater king, who is Jesus, who has has given us the marriage supper of the Lamb promises where we really will sink our teeth in to the love of God, literally. And all the fear and shame and all the hiding will go away and there will be no tears, there will be no sadness or death. And we'll be children again. Last thing, I, I, I am struck by how free children are. Um, as just thinking about this, what, what is David trying to express? And I think childlikeness in the Christian life is such a vast image. We could spend a month on it. But I think one of the things is this. And I want to encourage you guys. Childlikeness is the way of the Christian life. It's not just an entry point in the, in the Christian life. You never move on from childlikeness. And here's one of the things about that. The more secure you are in your relationship with Jesus, the freer you are to be fully yourself, to be fully alive. If you've seen a child like really play, like really play, they are so much better at Sabbath than we are. They're fully themselves. Why can they do that? Is there an insecurity about like whether or not they're going to have lunch? or whether or not like they're going to have dinner, or their mom and dad is going to be around. It's not this naive innocence. It's like true humanity being embodied on a playground. That's what we were made to be like. That's how this, we were made to live in a light, burden-free way on a playground as children, to play in God's world. I'll just say, while you finish off the semester, and I know this is such a change of pace, it's an unprecedented, hashtag unprecedented, uh, interim. We've never had an interim like this. I, I, don't, I don't want to pretend to even know where you are going into it. 